Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Brad Johnson. He serves as an affiliate professor at the seminary and as the pastor of Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church. He holds two Master of Arts degrees, one in Biblical Studies and one in Theological Studies, and also a PhD in Biblical Studies from Asbury Seminary. He and his wife, Christina, and their four sons all live in Wilmore, Kentucky. In today's conversation, Dr. Johnson and I talk about his calling, how he came to be involved and now serve as the executive director for The Word Is Out, and how and why having an informed faith is so important to leading to actual change. Let's listen. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to get to talk to you. Thank you. Well, you're very kind. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. So I want to hear, we want to get to know you. So could you start off by telling me how you experienced your call to ministry? Yeah. So as I think back on it, um, as a kid growing up in, in rural Indiana, literally in the middle of cornfields, so tall you can't see out, and gravel <laughs> yeah. roads, um, uh, there wasn't much to do, but one of the things that we did do for social interaction, you know, when we weren't in school, was we would go to we'd, we'd go to church. Mm-hmm. And I remember just how how different that world seemed. You know, the building smelled different. We dressed differently. We talked differently. Yeah. And I was sort of intrigued by it, um, but I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. So mm-hmm. I, I continued to stay involved in the, in the life of the church. And then there was sort of my life that was separate from the church mm-hmm. for a long time. And, and somebody, when I was in high school, said, Brad, have you ever thought, thought about being a, a, a pastor? And so mm-hmm. I said, well, what, what's a pastor make? <laughs> right, yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. question. And they told me, and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. So initially, I, I think I, I, I said no to the call out of pocket because... My mm-hmm. priorities were just sort of askew. Yeah. Um, so I went on just just local county high school, farmed mm-hmm. my way through college, paying for that bill. Um, ended up working in governmental affairs and legislative work, and really mm-hmm. thought that would be my career. Mm-hmm. But sort of fell into an opportunity in my my mid to late twenties to be a youth pastor. And prior to that, I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And somebody approached me, and uh, lo and behold, I was hired by a church and immediately felt that this was such a good fit. It just felt right. I mean, I was—I didn't have any theological training, didn't have any Bible classes. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a kid from, you know, Indiana growing up amongst the cornfields. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up getting hired by the largest United Methodist Church in the northern half of the U.S. at that point. Wow. And I was their youth director. Wow. And I don't know why they hired me, but they did. And they were very gracious to me. Yeah. And very patient. Um, but as, as soon as I, I fell into that role, mm-hmm. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Really? How did you know? 
I looked forward to it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stay late. I would, I, would, I would work Saturdays. I would work holidays. I just, I felt like there was purpose in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't very good at it, and I didn't really have the right attitude at that time, mm-hmm. um, if there is a right attitude. But uh, it just was something I wanted to do, and I, I couldn't imagine anything else that seemed like a better fit. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. So how did you, how do you think about, because everyone's call story is different. Mm -hmm. Yours kind of, it sounds like it started with somebody asking you if you thought about being a Mm -hmm. pastor. And then you got this job and you really enjoyed it. So how do you think about how God calls us, how God called you? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Heidi. So... For Asbury Seminary, I teach a, a course called Vocation of Ministry. Mm-hmm. And one of the five major units that we work through in that course is on calling. And we talk a lot about discernment, mm-hmm. calling, types of calling, what you're calling, what you're called to. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid and someone said, hey, Brad, are you interested in the ministry? Mm-hmm. It was the ministry. It was being a pastor. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was as broad as my vision was and, and our vision. But now we, we tend to think more in terms of being called simply to ministry. Mm-hmm. And that can be a pastor, it can be a chaplain, a counselor, a teacher, a missionary. It can be a mom at home raising kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the word vocation means calling. What's the Lord calling you to do? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that those callings can come in so many different ways that it's hard to categorize them. Some people get these huge calls that are like burning bush moments. Right. Um, some people hear a still small voice. Some people run uh, from the call. Some some people are called like like Abram, you know, just to take one step, yeah. just go, mm-hmm. right? Get the car out of park and then to drive, and then I'll tell you how to steer, right? <laughs> yeah. And so for me, uh, there was just that seed that was planted when someone said, "Brad, have you ever considered the ministry?" Now, that just opened up a new way of thinking about me potentially being in that role. Uh, But then as life sort of uh, progressed, there were different benchmarks and mileposts that I think clarified the vision, Mm -hmm. um, refined the trajectory, Mm -hmm. um, closed off some doors and opened up other doors. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really been, it's it's a journey. I mean, calling is a journey, right? It it really is. And I think... I think for most, even if you have a burning bush moment, I still feel like it's one step at a time. Mm, that's right. A little bit, yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you're a professor at the seminary, how, but you came as a student first. So how did you yeah. get connected? There may be some 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 milestones that I'm jumping in the middle. Yeah. So if there are, feel free to fill those in. But how did you get from being a youth pastor and then come back, come to being a student. Yeah, so I never saw it coming. Um, (laughs) Yeah, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? Had I known what I would end up doing at the time because of who I was, I would have worked against it because that wasn't my my vision. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so glad that the Lord didn't show it to me back then Mm -hmm. because I would have fought against it, and I wouldn't trade this for really anything. being an indie race car driver would be kind of cool. But yes. other than that, yeah. yes. Yes to that. Yeah, I was born blocks away from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we could hear cars uh, during qualifications. Oh, wow. so, so you had it in your blood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 
So as a, as a youth pastor at this really big church in Indianapolis, um, I think that because the, the clergy were so gracious to me and patient, they were very gentle. But at one point they did say, Brad, have you thought about some theological training? Mm -hmm. Always a good thing. Always a good thing, yep. <laughs> um, and I asked, what would that look like? And they said, well, it could take a number of different forms. One of them would be you could, you could go to a local seminary here in town and um, just take some classes. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, I'll do that. So I did a semester. Um, and really did not have a positive experience mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So much so, Heidi, that I decided I wouldn't go back for a second semester. Oh, wow. And uh, I really didn't want to go back to seminary at all mm -hmm. because I, I, I made an assumption that all seminaries were yes. alike, that yes. it was the seminary experience, Yes. right? So years later, um, I met, and, and I, I hope at some point they're listening uh, to this because I'd love for them to, to appreciate the significant role they've had in our lives, but Bob and Jill Riggles. Mm -hmm. um, Bob was uh, a student finishing master's work <clears throat> here at the seminary in 98, and they were doing youth ministry, and we, we got together and would sort of partner with them and became mm -hmm. good friends, dear friends. And Bob at one point said to me, Brad, have you thought about seminary going back to seminary i said no <laughs> <laughs> i've thought about it and that is that's right no. yeah i've already answered that question <clears throat> and bob in a, in a in an incredibly gentle way only in a way that only he could ask said this would you would you consider a day on campus at asbury and i said no <laughs> and he sort of pressed back which is a little out of character for him but he said would would you do it as a favor to me mm -hmm. would you just go visit so I reluctantly said, yeah, I will. So Christine and I left um, Zionsville, outside Indianapolis, where we were living and working, on a Monday night at about 9 o'clock after a, after a church meeting. Wow, that's quite a trip. Yeah, and we drove down here uh, in the dark, in the snow. It was snowing that night. And I'll tell you this, Heidi, I know the date. Um, it was February the 22nd of 1999 okay. when we when we left um, the Indianapolis area and we arrived here about one o'clock in the morning and uh, as students visiting campus we had a room reserved for us at what was then called the Beeson Manor oh yes yeah That's right, back yeah. in the day now the, the Asbury Inn and uh, we rang the doorbell and we woke up some guy he stumbled to the door and let us in showed us to our room and uh, folks at home can't see this but I am holding the folder that was on the bed uh, in our in our room. Your admissions packet. My admissions packet. And it's got my name and the date on there and all that. And I kept all of this. Um, and I woke up the next morning early, and it was a short night of sleep, and I was aggravated, um, agitated, in fact, because I felt like I was wasting my time. Because mm -hmm. I'd already done the seminary thing, didn't right. want to do it again. Right. Uh, so Christine and I had breakfast uh, in the student center cafeteria. Mm -hmm. We met with our admissions counselor uh, uh, in that office, attended a class, went to chapel in Estes, were warmly welcomed there by the, by the, st uh, the student community, had lunch, mm -hmm. another class, uh, toured uh, the facility, you know, the campus, met with financial aid, and then had our final meal at the student center. Um, and Christina asked me, she said, so what do you think? I said, I don't know, what do you think? And she said, uh, I think the Spirit is here, and I think you need to be. 
And I said, I agree 100%. Wow. So the Lord, just in that span of about eight hours, just radically changed my heart toward this mm-hmm. from absolutely not to I can't miss this. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in classes um, that fall. But Heidi, I want to share this with you. Um, as a youth pastor at a church then in, in the community of Zionsville, I remember coming into the building on a, on a Wednesday morning following this visit on campus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, February in Indiana is pretty miserable. Is. You just, you know, you're so done. And it's not a pretty winter, you know. And I just remember thinking, why aren't our local churches creating the kinds of climates that I just saw in Wilmore, Kentucky? And, and Heidi, as I literally walked through the doors into the building, I could see over my shoulder a vision of a big pipeline about six foot in diameter mm-hmm. going to the seminary in, in, as, in, in Kentucky mm-hmm. and, and coming straight to a local church. And I felt the Lord was saying, Brad, I want you to be that pipeline. I want you to bring what's happening there to the local church. Wow. And that picture has been, been with me ever since. And so that's when I just really got serious about preparing myself for ministry. Mm-hmm. So I started taking classes as a, as a commuting student, driving down here every week and back. After four years of that, with a little bit of work online, we moved here for me to finish up. Mm-hmm. This was 2004. Um, Sam, our oldest son, was 11 months old. And we thought we would be here for 16 months, mm-hmm. and we'd go right back. Yeah. That was 2004. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that works. It is funny how that works. A lot of folks wind up yeah. doing that. Mm-hmm. How did that, since you stayed, how did that vision, how do you see that vision of becoming a pipeline to bring the to bring the Asbury experience, for lack of a better term? Because yeah. it, it will contextualize for right. every, every local church, every place that you are. How, how do you see that vision coming to pass in the yeah. last... 17 years. Yeah, so I kept thinking, we're ready to go back. We're ready yeah. to deploy. We're ready to launch. And there were delays, delays, delays. And the big delay was, well, the initial delay was that when I finished my master's work, um, the seminary offered me a two-year contract as a teaching fellow teaching oh, wow. Greek. Yeah. And so um, there's, there's, there's a much bigger story to that. But uh, suffice it to say that I accepted that position and I taught for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of the second year, the seminary was funded by the Amos Foundation, or the Amos family, uh, who owns the Aflac Insurance Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, the seminary was funded for a PhD in biblical studies. Okay. So I was in the first cohort nice. of people uh, for that group. I'm sure, I'm convinced that there were eight slots and seven applicants, <laughs> and that's why I got in. So what happened was the seminary sort of broke the mold a little bit for teaching fellows because now we had a PhD program. Mm-hmm. And so as I continued to move forward in the PhD program, the seminary continued to renew my contract. So okay. my two-year contract ended up being eight years. Okay. So we were really thinking we were going to go back, go back, go back, but mm-hmm. we kept tearing here. Mm-hmm. So I finished uh, my PhD in 2014, uh, having taught for eight years. And uh, my position went back to rotating fellows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I became an affiliate professor mm-hmm. of, of, um, here at Asbury Seminary teaching part-time. Mm-hmm. 
So I've continued to teach, but it's interesting because I've been bi and vi, no, I'm sorry, bi and tri-vocational really? for quite some time. Yeah, because you also, you're the pastor of, of Wesley Chapel, United Methodist Church, yeah. and you're the executive director now for The Word Is Out. Right. Yeah, so how, how do all those things juggle together? Yeah, sometimes it's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I say to folks whose call is like mine, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit unconventional, is sometimes excellence isn't defined by being the best at what you do. Mm-hmm. It's just keeping all the balls in the air, you know, yeah. not letting anything drop. Yeah, somebody told me recently that obedience to God, to calling, to whatever you want to put there, um, well, not whatever you want to put there, but obedience is, or calling is long obedience in the same, same direction. direction. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that may come from Eugene Peterson. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know who. Yeah. A I, friend has said it to me, but yeah. I, I didn't know if that was original to her yeah. or. I may be misquoting yeah. that, but I, I, I know that quote, and that's such a good word. Yeah. Such a good word. So for us, you know, I'll have to admit there was a little bit of an identity crisis mm-hmm. for me when, um, when I got my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Because it sort of by default took me out of my teaching role, which I had really loved. Mm-hmm. Who would have guessed that I would have been passionate about teaching Greek <laughs> to first-year seminary students right. every day, all day? Mm-hmm. But I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. But, you know, the Lord closes doors and he opens doors. And so a year after I, I um, well, I guess it was a year before I, I actually defended and, and got my PhD, I was licensed in Kentucky as a local pastor. Okay. So it was 2015 that um, I got my PhD and I took my appointment at Wesley Chapel, which is um, just this great little congregation um, here in Jessamine County, and just I love I love being a pastor. I love those people. They are just phenomenal, and so that's my opportunity to to contextualize it. Yes. Right. So yes. we've had all kinds of mentored ministry students who have been phenomenal. Um, we have um, faculty come and preach. We have mm-hmm. uh, folks on staff and students come and give their testimonies. We see international people coming and going. Mm-hmm. So it's just been great. But but more than anything for me. It's been the opportunity to really help people understand the Bible. Yes. What it is, what it's not, um, how it works, how to read it, and, and what the big story is in there uh, of which they are a part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested. So mm-hmm. how do we how do we read the how do you do that? How do we read the Bible? How do we understand what it is and what it's not? Yeah. And then how do we make it true for us? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think about those specific questions consciously every day, but those are my questions yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I don't know why, but in the last several days and maybe a couple of weeks, Luke 24 has just been in my space, like the, the, the account of the— the two travelers on their way to Emmaus who, uh, who were overtaken by Jesus mm-hmm. the, the day that uh, he disappears from the grave, yeah. right? East, the first Easter Sunday. Yeah. And they don't recognize Jesus. It says that they, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Mm-hmm. And in my devotions and conversations and hearing other preachers, it's just, this passage has constantly been hitting me. Even in conversation with a, with a, a Kenyan woman who, who's a missionary, um, this conversation came up. Um, 
in a Zoom, on, on a Zoom call. And, and, and it's the idea that when you meet Jesus, he, he can interpret Scripture for us, right? He wants to do that. He wants us to understand it so that we know about him. We know the story. We know where we are. We know the trajectory. But it's not enough just to know about Jesus. We got to know him. And it was when he sat at table fellowship um, that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So again, I'm getting hit by this in all directions. Right now I'm reading N.T. Wright's little book on, on the Last Supper. I forget what it's called, but just a book about mm-hmm. the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he draws on this, Luke 24, right? Mm-hmm. He says, these two things have got to happen. We've got to understand the word, right? And, and then we've, we've got to be in fellowship with him and others. And this is how our eyes are opened. So this all began for me when I took my first course on inductive Bible study. Okay. IBS, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I happened to take my first course with, with, with Dr. David Bauer in oh, the yes. Gospel of Matthew, the mm-hmm. Bauer Hour of Power, right? <laughs> so many of us know it. Yes. And it just, like so many other folks, it just blew my mind how I could actually learn to see how my eyes could be opened mm-hmm. to see things that I wouldn't see, to see them accurately, to see them impartially, mm-hmm. to see them um, I- entirely, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All that's there, only what's there, mm-hmm. right? And I began seeing the world differently. I mean, I'm reading Scripture differently for yeah. sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading other works differently. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching movies differently. I'm listening to songs differently. Uh-huh. Because there are obviously words, but there's also shape. Yes. Right? Yes. And when you really begin to pay attention to something, you begin to see the shape of the thing. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with inductive Bible study. So let me just kind of get right to the heart of things here for me. Uh, and, 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 and Christina really helped me see this um, within the last few days. Mm-hmm. You know, my role here at the seminary changed in 2000. I think it was 14, 2014, when I was no longer full-time. Yes. And at that moment, we began asking ourselves, all right, God, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. What's, what do you... We kept thinking it was going to be a full-time faculty position somewhere, yeah. and I applied for lots and some opportunities that we just didn't really felt like we were right, right for. Mm-hmm. Other folks felt like we weren't right for those positions. Mm-hmm. And doors just kept closing, kept closing. And one day, uh, this was the... It was the fall. It was the fall of 2018. I showed up on campus to go see someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my good friend Brian Yike, who's uh, oh, yes. on on yeah on yes. staff here uh, in the in the provost office, and we've been in an accountability group forever. I went to see him on a Monday morning, and I had a headache, and I hadn't showered, and I had a ball cap pulled down low over my <laughs> eyes, trying to sneak in. Just to, I needed to see Brian for a minute, and Brian was was uh, on the phone, so I just waited out in the hallway. David Bauer walks out of his office and he sees me uh-huh. and I'm trying to hide, right? Uh-huh. Incognito. Incognito, yeah. <laughs> David says, Brad, do you have just a minute? I thought, oh no, not today. And I just, oh, I said, oh, sure, David, I've got a minute. He brought me in and he sat me down. He said, Brad, you know that I'm on the board for the, an organization called The Word Is Out, right? I said, yeah, yeah, because a few years before I'd met the founder and the president, Alan Meenan, who was an Asbury alum. Uh-huh. Um, and so I knew about the ministry and how the ministry was really committed to training up pastors and, and, and lay people overseas mm-hmm. in hermeneutics, mm-hmm. which is 
understanding how to interpret the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the means, of course, is inductive Bible study. And I knew David was involved. He said, uh, well, um, we're looking for somebody to join our ministry and to assist Alan. Would you have any interest in that? I said, let's talk a little further about that. So we did, and I ended up flying out and spent and spending the weekend with Alan, who, who at that time lived in California. And Heidi, I was compelled by his vision of reaching people <clears throat> and teaching them how to read the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, in, in, and I think this is really true to inductive meth- methodology, the end game is not to be a perfect reader. It's not even necessarily to be a great reader. Mm-hmm. It's to be a better reader. Mm-hmm. So um, without going into all the details, that journey of, has been like a courtship, mm-hmm. and now I'm the executive director in, in a part-time capacity, mm-hmm. which frees me up to teach and pastor. But I get to bring all these worlds together, mm-hmm. right? And they all fit. They, you know, maybe on the outside they might not seem like they fit, yeah. but they all fit so well they together. Do. Seamlessly. Yes. And then it's an extraordinary opportunity, and I never saw it coming. Yeah. <clears throat> never saw it coming. That's beautiful. I love how the Lord does things like that, and mm-hmm. just yeah, opens the next right thing. Yeah. Yeah, as we seek Him. I want to know, because I didn't know what inductive Bible study is was before I started working here. So would you care to define that for listeners who may be like, have yeah. been like me, who are like, yeah. um, I've heard this word, I don't know exactly yeah. what it means. Yeah. So uh, it's really two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, it, it's an attitude. Okay. It's, it's a disposition. It's a way of thinking about and approaching Scripture uh, that, that, that assumes, in, in this case, um, that we're going to read the whole Bible, mm-hmm. right? Not just individual verses mm-hmm. and take those potentially out of context. Um, and specifically, we recognize that the Bible is comprised of books, mm-hmm. 66 books. So we read books as entire unit units, right? Okay. Books as wholes. Mm-hmm. So the, it's typically a book study. Um, we, we begin any of our study prayerfully, mm-hmm. praying that the Lord would just open our eyes, mm-hmm. right? Um, we begin by looking at the big picture of, of a book as a whole. Oh, um, yeah. Sort of like you might look at a whole play or a musical, uh-huh. a stage production. Mm-hmm. And then we start looking at the, the big units, what we might call the acts, mm-hmm. you know, act one, act two, act three. And then we start looking at the, the scenes, the subunits within that, you know, as pieces of that bigger story. Basically going from a forest-level perspective to a tree-level perspective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From the whole to the parts. Yes. And this is this really the second part of inductive Bible study, which is a, a, a certain method, right? Mm-hmm. A, a prescribed method. There are steps. It's logical. It's orderly. But it's not rigid. Mm-hmm. It's dynamic yeah. and flexible. Mm-hmm. So we start with the big picture, reading the book as a whole. Then we look at the major parts the minor parts, then we look at the details. So we spend 90% of our time just observing, mm-hmm. really close examination. And once we, we've done that, then we begin asking questions. What does this mean? Why is it here? How could it potentially be useful today? Um, so we go from an observation phase to an interpretation phase. Mm-hmm. And the answers to those questions give us the meaning. What does this mean? Well, that's interpreting, right? Mm-hmm. 
And once we've interpreted, the, interpreted a passage or a book, then we move on into the application phase, okay. the, the so what. Uh -huh. Not everything that's reported in the Bible is something we're commanded to do today, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. There are things that were specifically in that context. But there are lots of things that we are expected to. So the application phase is sort of asking the questions, what, what are we called to do today and what does that look like mm -hmm. in my own life? So what yeah. am I going to do about this? So observation, interpretation, application. Yeah. Always, always, always moving from evidence, you know, what's in the text, mm -hmm. to our conclusions rather than starting with some conclusions and then trying to find evidence to back it up. Yeah. Right? So... The word is out as helping people create and have an informed faith. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's what we're seeing in, in, in Africa in particular. Yeah. Church is growing like crazy exponentially. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Here's the challenge. The church is growing on the basis of, of two problems. Number one, a very limited knowledge of Scripture, maybe a handful of verses that a pastor knows and preaches only and always. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's a very limited perspective on, on the, the Christian faith. And secondly, they're being highly informed by the Im importation of Western e um, health and wealth gospel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes preachers who are radically Pentecostal, um, appealing only to the ministry of healing and prophecy without giving attention to the larger needs of the church. So, so people in Africa are actually being harmed by the church because pastors are, quote, receiving revelations from God yeah. that are unchecked, um, ungrounded, and then, then they're asking their people to do ridiculous things. Yeah. So here's some of the things that I've learned because we have a ministry, very strong ministry presence in uh, the nation of Zambia, uh, South Central Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, the capital city of Lusaka, Lyle Zulu, and his team are doing an amazing job. Uh, this Lyle's a graduate of, of Asbury. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we're getting these reports that, that pastors are asking their parishioners to eat grass. Oh, my. Because they are the sheep of the flock. Um, sometimes pastors are spraying their, um, their congregants with insecticide. Uh, pastors are asking parishioners to buy pieces of wood mm -hmm. so that the Lord blesses those people by giving them houses. Oh, um, yeah. And sometimes um, pastors will exercise demons from a household if something bad happens to the family, mm -hmm. if they're experiencing misfortune. And the demons are always thought to be in the children. And if the exorcism doesn't work and the, the misfortune continues, the pastor will escalate the exorcism on the child. Mm -hmm. This is atrocious. It is terrible. So, so Alan, the founder of The Word Is Out, would say, you know, people are starving in Africa and they need to eat and people are taking them food and that, that has to happen. But there's a more underlying problem that even goes up to the political level, the mm -hmm. governmental structures level. Mm -hmm. And Alan would say, it's like the bathtub's running over, mm -hmm. right? It's just running over. And everybody keeps running to get a bucket. He said, I want to turn the faucet off. We want to make systemic change. Yes. And if people understand the word, right, yeah. and can apply it properly, we mm -hmm. can see a difference 
in the lives of people, the lives of nations. Yeah. Uh, history shows that this has happened before. Yeah. We, we've totally. got a track record totally. of entire nations repenting. Yes. You know, the miracle in Jonah is not that Jonah got swallowed by a great fish. The miracle is that Nineveh repented. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways that the word is out is doing it, and you mentioned this in your answer just a minute ago, but is to create centers for biblical understanding. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, um, but that, that aims to take acquaintance with Scripture to engagement with Scripture. Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the centers for biblical understanding, how, what the teaching process is like, how mm-hmm. these get established? And I'm asking a lot of questions yeah. in one, but That's just, right. and how, how you've seen these centers create the systemic changes. Yeah. So the idea is that by um, doing workshops, seminars mm-hmm. uh, around the world, we, we could identify folks who really have capacity. And this mm-hmm. has been the work that Alan Meenan has done so well. So um, we're still early on in this, in this program. But uh, we call this um, initiative our Champions Program. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, Alan went to Africa. He did a large seminar for um, uh, you know hundreds of people, and um, through that process, came to know Lyle Zulu, and saw in Lyle real potential. Lyle had a passion. He had the des- um, he had the ability. Mm-hmm. He just needed an opportunity. So Alan crafted the Champions Program, and, and that resulted in a uh, Memorandum of Understanding okay. with Asbury Seminary, an MOU, which is an agreement, yeah. whereby the word is out would pay to bring Lyle to um, Asbury and cover his living expenses uh, for he and his wife Susan while they were here. The seminary would provide the tuition. Mm-hmm. So Lyle uh, actually was a student of mine in Greek. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. He, and a great Greek student. So this has been great to reconnect with him. Um, he came, uh, earned an MA in Biblical Studies, mm-hmm. and then we deployed him back to Zambia where he established a training center. Okay. So he was doing um, uh, seminars, conferences for pastors in the, the nation of Lusaka, which is such a great place. Yeah. If you ever get to go, by all <laughs> means, go. Um, the food is just wonderful there. <laughs> My bad. Um, but pastors started coming to his conferences and he began teaching them inductive Bible study, just mm-hmm. using the, the David Bauer, Robert Traina industry standard textbook, mm-hmm. right? And just doing it in phases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he started in 2016. Now he has a team that he has trained up, uh, people who can teach the courses and, and assist him, mm-hmm. people who could, in fact, if given the opportunity, create their own centers. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're now going into outlying provinces and doing training and figuring out ways to establish centers there, uh-huh. uh, and even they've even been asked to translate Doctor's, Dr. Bauer's book into their native language. That's awesome. Yeah. So he, he, Lyle is hitting it out of the park. It's, this is the model that we want to perpetuate. So our second champion is ready to deploy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Carol Lynn, who just graduated uh, in May from Myanmar or uh-huh. <laughs> from Asbury Seminary. Uh-huh. She's from Myanmar, uh-huh. which was formerly Burma. Um, so talented, so gracious, so warm and engaging with people. She's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But she can't go back to Myanmar because of the political coup yes. and the civil war that's developing there. So she's seeking um, temporary protected status here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we're connecting her with various 
Burmese communities, Burmese-speaking church communities, and she's establishing relationships there, and there are stories there we could tell at another time, but she's doing an amazing work. So awesome. we're excited for her. Now we're looking for our next champion. Yeah, how does that process work? Like, do you find them? Do they find you? How do, like, if a student is potentially listening to this, how, how does this process work for them? Yeah, I, again, as we, like, as we were saying about calling, it, it's hard to, to categorize. Okay. Um, in Lyle's case, he attended a conference that Alan was speaking at. In Carol's case, um, Carol was doing her Master of Divinity at uh, the Myanmar Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. Mm-hmm. One of her professors knew Alan mm-hmm. and said, hey, Alan, we've got somebody here who is really sharp. Um, so that's how that conversation began. Yeah, so it's kind of like a recommendation. Mm-hmm. People get recommended. It, it can be. It can be, yeah. yeah. Or we, we may just run into somebody somewhere and think, wow, yeah. this, this person could do this. Yeah. If somebody wants, if they have a recommendation or are interested, how do they connect with, do they connect with you? How do they get in touch about this? Yeah, so if, if they're here in the Wilmore area, they can certainly reach out to me by email, by, okay. by phone, by carrier pigeon. I don't care what, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll link all that yeah, in the show yeah, notes too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Deanna Spengler uh, is our Associate of Administration and Development. Mm-hmm. She's here in Wilmore. She's available. Um, as is Joy Ireland, who does some good work for us uh, in, a, in a really pastoral sort of way uh, in curriculum uh, writing. So we've got people here. Okay. But the easiest thing to do would be to go to the, to the website, okay. thewordisout.com, okay. yeah. and just, just generate a message. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, we'll link all of that on our Thrive website in our show notes so that people can yeah. easily find that and connect with you. Yeah. How, how have you seen, because you talked about the Zambia Center for Biblical Understanding. Um, how have you seen, and how that's spreading, how have you seen lives change, like pastors' lives change? Like you mentioned the pastors without a correct understanding of Scripture. Right. How have you seen change created for them so that yeah. they can then lead their congregation in a true way? Yeah, yeah. That I appreciate that question so much. So I was in Zambia uh, in 2019, for Lyle's annual uh, conference, exhibition, and seminar, mm-hmm. um, or exposition and seminar. And one of the folks that he has trained up is, uh, is, a, is a gentleman named Bishop Bright Combe, mm-hmm. who pastors uh, multiple congregations. Really such a neat guy and a di- dynamic communicator and a great thinker. Um, he was presenting to the conference. Mm-hmm. And at one point he was talking about the abuses of these clergy who, who think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But he, he sort of described this picture of, of, uh, of, of, of an African person lying on the ground and the, the, the preacher, the pastor, was, was standing, standing over the person with the pastor's foot on the neck of the person, mm-hmm. saying, what is, what is your problem? What is it that you need? What, what, what demon do we need to exercise from you? And, 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 and Bright, Bishop Bright, because he's just so, so funny, <laughs> he just said, you know, I was doing the voice of the guy laying on the ground, well, the problem is you're standing on my neck. That's the problem, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but he understood that something's wrong and people aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. So he teaches at the, at the, the center there in Lusaka and, and, and just shows people how to allow the word to speak to them in its fullness, yeah. 
right? The whole thing. If they do a study of the book of of of, uh, of Romans, let's say, or Galatians, which is what they were. They did Galatians the year I was there. You could just see people in the congregation making these connections, mm -hmm. seeing how this um, story of the Christian faith makes sense mm -hmm. and centers upon the atoning work of Christ. They'd never heard that before, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They, they, just, they just hear, well, if you give to the church, the Lord will bless you. Mm -hmm. Or if there's something wrong with you, we will, we will try to cast it out. You know? How do you, for, you can forgive me for this question, but how do you, since there is so much twisting that happens, and we're talking about Zambia, I've experienced it in the States too, you know, with my church experience, that things get twisted and so like rules get put in place or mm -hmm. whatever have you. How do you safeguard that the truth is the truth mm -hmm. to avoid avoid some of like, the human error that comes in and, yeah. and like creates things that weren't meant to be, but then get handed on yeah. as, as truth. Yeah, um, that's such an appropriate question. Um, <clears throat> you know, in, in the Wesleyan tradition, mm -hmm. you know, if we want to know something about the nature of God or the purposes of God, we can appeal to our traditions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We can appeal to our, our, our personal experiences. Mm -hmm. We can appeal to our reasoning capacities. Mm -hmm. God's given us all of those yeah. and they're valid. But the one way that trumps all the others is we can appeal to the word, yeah. right? We can appeal to scripture. So drift happens when people move away from the word, when they don't read it, mm -hmm. or when they read it at a surface level without really probing its depth and richness, or, and I think this is what mostly happens, they, they, they appeal to it only to support what they presuppose is true. Yes. Right? Yes. They just look, they... they that's they, an easy thing to fall into. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I interrupted no. you. But yeah, that's an yeah. easy thing to fall into. Yeah, it really is. And, and so kind of back to talking about Eugene Peterson, um, Peterson actually wrote the foreword to the IBS textbook by David Bauer and, and, and Robert Traina because, like David Bauer... You, and like Alan Meenan, you, and like Billy Abraham, who we just mourn, whose loss we still mourn, yeah. um, Peterson was a student of Bob Trainus when Traina was still uh, teaching in, at the Biblical Seminary in New York. But all four of these people, Bauer, Traina, I'm sorry, Bauer, Abraham, uh, Alan Meenan, and Eugene Peterson were profoundly impacted by Bob Traina's methodical approach to scripture, mm -hmm. taking it seriously at face value mm -hmm. and refusing to, um, to extract from it only what one wants, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so I, I think really what, what's at stake here is whether or not we're gonna follow the gospel of Jesus or a version of the gospel that we manufacture for ourselves, yeah. right? Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's the issue. And so for me personally, Heidi, my journey in faith has really been characterized by milepost encounters with Scripture. Oh, yeah. I can point to those moments. Mm -hmm. and, and so at this point, I'll simply say, well, let me, let me say this in two ways. Number one, I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus at age 16, reading the New Testament in the bathroom behind a locked door. That's just how it happened for me. Yeah. 
And I was just a kid, and I, I didn't know IBS. I didn't know anything. Uh-huh. But I met Jesus. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. I met him. Yes. And I said, he's mine, and I am his. <laughs> Praise God. Mm-hmm. However, I, I've, I've matured. That seed has grown. Uh-huh. Uh, my seed's not finished growing. Uh-huh. I'm not there yet. But I'm growing. And so for, for me, and I, this is true of Christina and my family, we have found such a sweetness to human existence. Mm-hmm. And the word that's been on my mind of late is flourishing. We are flourishing, right? Because our lives, to the best we can, reflect Jesus' vision for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God on earth, mm-hmm. just as it is in heaven. And, and so we're trying to live uh, as fully as we can into the sweetness of abundant life that Jesus offers, right? When we pray, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking heaven to come to earth. And when Jesus came, he brought it with him. Yeah. So at our little home here in Kentucky, we're living into that, and it's an amazing vision. And I challenge people, if you've got a better worldview, if you've got a better offer for good living, let's have it. But good luck with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Johnson, this conversation has been a delight. I have one question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, but before we do that, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that I didn't know to ask? Um, at this point, I don't think so. I appreciate your questions, and it's great. And I'll think of six things as I walk out of here. I'm sure yeah. I will probably do yeah. the same. <laughs> it's easy to armchair quarterback a podcast <laughs> after you've done it. Yet. Absolutely. But thank you seriously so much for doing this. Yeah. So the one question that I ask everyone, because the show is called the Thrive with the Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Yeah, that's that's great. I'm I'm so glad that we can talk about this. Years ago, uh, in fact, my first year as a seminary student, I had um, Steve Siemens, yes. I had Daryl Whiteman, mm-hmm. uh, I had Ken Boyd, and I had Bob Tuttle. Bob Tuttle sort of always scares me, you know, <laughs> asking me to do crazy things, right, as he, as he would do. But he told me about a spiritual practice that he had adopted years earlier, and that was reading through the whole Bible in a year's time. So every year he would he would do that, and he would take notes in his Bible, and then he would give that Bible to someone and go get a new Bible. Oh, I love that. Which I thought was so neat. So I decided maybe maybe I should try reading the Bible in a year. And he said it's not that hard; it's three or four chapters a day. Yeah. But you got to do it every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I messed with that for a while and kind of dropped it. But in 2013 or 14, I committed to that again, mm-hmm. and I actually followed a reading plan. Mm-hmm. Which is easy now. Actually, I do it on my phone. Yes, I've got the you know scripture right there on my phone. Reading plan. There's other folks from my church doing it with me. Nice. We're doing it together. We we post comments and we encourage mm-hmm. one another. But now every morning, <clears throat> I start my day with coffee, the perfect bowl of oatmeal, and Heidi, I'm telling you, I can make a perfect <laughs> bowl of oatmeal, and my Word of God, yeah. and and the night before, I look forward to that time. So working through the Bible in a year's time is so doable. I can't tell you how doable it is. <clears throat> Read quickly. You don't have to get bogged down. You could do it in 15 or 20 minutes a day. Just find a time during the day mm-hmm. when that works. Yeah. But do it because you're going to see, <clears throat> despite a number of things that don't make sense, 
you're going to see the big picture. Yes, for sure. I'm doing that this year for the Are first you? time. I've never, oh, never done it yeah. before. So I listen to the Bible on an app on uh-huh. my phone, and so it reads it to me, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So I love it, though. But I have to, I want to know, I said this was the last question, but it's not. What do you know, what are you learning about God this year? Like, Because we're almost to November when we're recording mm. this, that you didn't know December 2020. So I think this year, what has really struck me relates to what I was saying earlier about Luke 24 yeah. and those, you know, the pilgrims traveling to Emmaus, is this idea of understanding and seeing. You know, Jesus says, uh, and he's quoting Isaiah, right, from the Old Testament. He says, these people have eyes, but they, they're not seeing. And they've got ears, that like their eyes are in perfect working order, but they're not hearing. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've taken that to heart. I've even taken that to the point of thinking about conversations I have with people in my life. Mm-hmm. Am I really hearing them? Am I really seeing what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I think the Lord this year has just been inviting me to, to see better, mm-hmm. to have my eyes opened, mm-hmm. right? And this is such an important theme throughout the entire scripture. I mean, as I think about it, if I remember right, Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, right, to, to a dark reality. Yeah. Because they deviated from God's word, which was, you can have it all. But I'm going to give you one boundary, mm-hmm. one stinking boundary. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm just thinking... We're messed up. (laughs) But there's hope. Yes. Yes. Because we have the word and we can understand it. And when we sit down at the table with Jesus, he's not a stranger because we know about him. We've already heard all about him. Now we get to meet him in the flesh. It's like your favorite celebrity who you've been following (laughs) and stalking for years, and then they show up. There they are. I love that. I love that so much. So. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast today. It's been a joy. Yeah, Thank me you too. So much. Me too, Heidi. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your journey and the work that you do. Keep keep on keeping on. Thank you. Yeah. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Brad Johnson. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and learning about how God is using everyday men and women to accomplish his work in the world. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you see Dr. Johnson or are connected to him on social media, be sure to tell him thank you for being part of today's conversation. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.